been working our way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We've made it through the first four chapters, and now we're kind of going back so we can take some time to go phrase by phrase through Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Just taking some time to unpack this magnificent philosophy of ministry, this mission statement of Jesus, essentially his manifesto. Why did Jesus come? What was the perspective that he brought? What was the mission that he came to accomplish? And what could the people who were living in that day come to expect about his, about his life? This morning, we're going to see one of these phrases from the, this mission statement that Jesus is using in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, is drawn from Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, Henry read for us a bit of this passage so we can kind of get a sense of the context. And we can begin to understand that, w- that Jesus' ministry, while he prioritized spiritual life, did not come to the exclusion of the physical. We're going to look at this a little bit more, but Jesus came to heal broken bodies. Jesus came to correct those who had uh, problems of vision, their, their blindness and restoring sight. Jesus came to, to help those who were lepers, to, to cast out demons, to help those who have various illnesses and diseases. Jesus came for those who were experiencing a measure of, of physical oppression so that he could point them to a spiritual reality. Those who adorn the gospel of God, those who call themselves followers of God, who say they believe in God, true religion, like those who follow Jesus, and like those from the Old Testament, will, will recognize there is something that must be true. There must be this alignment between the physical and spiritual. That the physical and the spiritual is not um, decompartmentalized. It's meant to be spill from one aspect of life into the other. That those who are spiritual, it will encompass every part of their life, every sphere, every dimension, every nook and cranny of your life will be impacted, influenced, and dominated by the spiritual reality inside that will show up in a physical way. So that here in Isaiah chapter 58, and we'll look at a little bit more as we continue to go, True religion shows up in those who are truly meeting needs, loosing bonds, undoing straps, removing oppression, breaking yokes, sharing bread, caring for homeless, and clothing the naked. That those who are truly in sync with the spiritual reality of of God changing them from the inside out, it will bear testimony, bear fruit on the outside and caring for those who are experiencing hard things, loving those who are truly captives, loving those who are truly oppressed. Of course, what was true in the Old Testament, and we'll look at a little bit more as we continue to go along, is also true as you would expect of the New Testament church. So then in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 45, as this new church is just beginning, and... Luke is beginning to describe the, 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 the character, the features of this church. He tells us this about their interest in compassion for those who are hurting. 
all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, the proceeds to all so as any had need. And in chapter 4, verses 34 to 35, here was the result. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. The spiritual life resulted in physical evidence, a, a change of heart that bore testimony of a changed life on the outside, a compassion, a tenderness, a, a looking to meet and address the needs of others. There was a, a genuineness, an authenticity. They were marked by the character of God that spilled out in the same way as Jesus had a compassion for those who were hurting. So those who follow after Jesus will echo the same heart. We come this morning to our fourth phrase in our study, our fourth phrase in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2. Those of you, if you have the, the study guide, I, I put them for you in your study guide so you can kind of follow along uh, in the phrases that, that Jesus begins to use to essentially design his mission statement. We spoke about the Spirit of the Lord being upon Jesus. We talked about the Lord being anointed by the Spirit. We talked about Jesus' ministry to proclaim good news to the poor. And this would be the next phrase in Isaiah chapter 61. And some of your Bibles, if you have a, a King James Version or a New King James Version, will include this phrase, 1D, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. We're going to focus this morning on this next phrase, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We're going to talk about these two phrases in our study this morning. What is going on here? Why does Jesus begin to, to pick and choose and design his mission statement? What is, what is happening here? Well, this morning, I, I want you to, to recognize that, that while we're going to get just a little technical, so I'm going to ask you to just to bear with me Forgive me in advance because as we begin to see what Jesus does, as we begin to see the, the text unfold before us and Jesus beginning to, to craft his own mission statement, we're gonna begin to understand that Jesus, while he cares for brokenhearted people, has not only a heart for those who are broken but has a solution in mind wants to advocate not only the heart for those who are hurting, but he wants to help us recognize how that hurt will be addressed and what is primary, what is preeminent for him, what is utmost for him. He will emphasize that as he begins to design his mission statement and craft it for his listeners there in Nazareth. So that's our first point this morning, that Jesus defines his ministry. Jesus defines his ministry. And by defining his ministry and by choosing verses from Isaiah 61 and then importing a verse from Isaiah 58, verse 6, and then flowing out with the first phrase of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, Jesus wants us to understand not only the mission he has come to accomplish, but the way in which he will accomplish it. 
drawing attention, highlighting, featuring, emphasizing his work. First, he draws attention to his preaching ministry. He draws attention to his preaching ministry. We talked about this last week. Uh, We got to see that he will proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus came with a proclamation kind of ministry. And Jesus will continue to draw attention to this work of preaching, and he will do that by carefully selecting the phrases from Isaiah chapter 61 to draw attention to that very thing. It's not necessarily clear in your, in your English manuscript in the translation that you're holding in front of you, but uh, hopefully by, by giving you this little uh, outline, the study guide in front of you, you, you will see uh, some of the correlations between what Jesus does and what we'll find in our passage in Luke chapter four, verse 18. We talked about the phrase, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. We talked about the phrase, because he has anointed me. And we talked about the phrase, to preach good news to the poor. But again, those of you who have the, the King James Version will have this next phrase, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, certainly that is in Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, we see that there as uh, the, there we go, thank you. The, the fourth phrase, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. But, but Jesus will skip this phrase. He'll pull the first part of it, he has sent me, and then he'll move to the fifth phrase to proclaim liberty to the captives, to draw attention to his preaching ministry. Jesus wants us to recognize the significance of preaching. He wants us to understand that the means by which he will accomplish liberation to the captives is through some dimension of preaching and teaching. Power will come through the words. Life and change will come through the words that Jesus is receiving from the Father, given through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that power working through Jesus will accomplish its way in the hearts of people. So what is happening here? Well, those who were translating the scriptures in 1611, this is the the King James Version, would would have been using manuscripts that were from the 12th and 15th century, using later copies of the the original manuscripts, using later copies of those manuscripts that included this phrase. But in recent times, in the late 1800s, there were two manuscripts that were found that go all the way back to 350 AD, much earlier than the later manuscripts. And those manuscripts did not include this phrase. So which one do we believe? Well, let me give you just a a quick example of how copyists would tend to to make some of the errors that they made. I'm gonna use two phrases that are common to you. First is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but worms will never hurt me. If we were to have a game of telephone and I were to start over here on this side, the first person in listening to this phrase would give me the, what? Worms, not words? And it probably would last for a couple of rows, but eventually worms would turn to words because of the familiar phrase that you all know. And eventually the copyist would correct this familiar phrase and we would end up with, words will never hurt me. 
The, the next phrase is this. Three blind mice see how I run. Now, some of you don't have a clue what the rest of that phrase is supposed to be. So it would be fine. Three blind mice see how I run. But those of you who are familiar with the song would know, time out, it's not three blind mice see how I run, it's three blind mice see how they run. And others of you who are grammarians would say, now the pronoun needs to agree with the subject, and so it must be three blind mice see how they run, and you would be hard pressed not to change that in your copy. This is just an example of the two most predominant ways in which the later copies would not reflect the original. But these are so minor in comparison, and it just gives testimony to the preservation of God of his word, that it is trustworthy, it is true. And that's what happened. What happened in this text is that Jesus, skipping over this line to heal the brokenhearted, wanted not to focus on the binding, the healing parts. Not that he was indifferent to brokenhearted people because he'll pick up a phrase later on and add it to uh, this mission statement. We'll see that in a moment. But Jesus had, as an emphasis, as a priority, the proclamation, preaching word as the means by which healing and liberty would come for captives and oppressed people. The emphasis of the word so that it was the proclamation of God that would come to bring the healing that people needed so desperately. Second, he draws attention to sending. So he draws attention first to preaching, he draws attention second to sending. Our second phrase, which is to set at liberty those who are oppressed, is not found in the reading of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 or 2. So, so where, where did this phrase come from? And why did Jesus insert this phrase? We'll find this phrase is identical to the phrase in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6. The Septuagint, which was written in columns, 30 letters per line, about 30 lines per column. Jesus, in reading Isaiah chapter 61, would have read the first several phrases, then gone and pulled in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, um, a phrase from that, from that uh, passage, and then he'll come back to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, and finish with the first phrase there. So why did Jesus insert this phrase? and remove the previous one. It was because Jesus had in mind to help us recognize the significance of sending. Sending. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me, which is the word apostello, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then this second phrase that we're looking at now, to set at liberty, apostello, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was sent, sent from the Father, sent to come to preach as a representative of God, bringing the words of the Father to the, his people, and in setting or liberating captives, Jesus has in mind to set them free to do something specific. He sets them free to send them out. So you see this procession of sending and preaching and sending and preaching, and that's what Jesus has in mind. 
in importing this phrase from, from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, Jesus, in fashioning his mission statement, wants to draw attention to proclamation and sending. It is meant to draw attention to the, the very heart of Jesus in coming as a representative, as an ambassador of the Father, one who is sent from the Father to accomplish his work, but in accomplishing his work, in liberating captives, to turn them loose, to do the same, to be on the same mission, to accomplish the same work, to speak the same words, to be indwelt with the same spirit, to be governed and directed by the Father in accomplishing the same mission that Jesus was sent to accomplish. As one who was sent, this demonstrates procession. Jesus as essentially an apostle of the Father, sent from the Father to accomplish the Father's work. And in the same way, we as sent ones from Jesus accomplishing Jesus' work. The Gospel of Luke and Acts will use this word apostello more than any other New Testament book. We've already seen it a couple of times in, in our Gospel from Luke chapter 1, verse 19, and also verse 26. Speaking of the angel Gabriel, it says, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And then in verse 26, speaking to Mary, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Jesus, later in our chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 43, will again point to his sending ministry, the, the mission that, that the Father sent him on to accomplish. Notice, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Apostello. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, it says, And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, apostello, which is the nominative form of this verb. This, by the way, is the only time that, uh, that the gospel writer points to and makes specific the disciples were also named apostles because Luke wants to draw our attention. He wants to connect the dots, make it really easy for us to see that the sending mission of Jesus is the same sending mission he's commissioned us to have. In Luke 9, verse 2, Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. In Luke 10, Jesus sends the 72 out two by two. And it's all summarized for us in John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus deliberately arranged the pieces of, of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, and he inserts this phrase from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, to help draw attention to the proclamating ministry of Jesus and the sending work of Jesus. So that those who follow Jesus are sent with the same mission. So Jesus defines his ministry, but Jesus, as we'll see now, delivers the captives in a press. What is, what is this ministry? What mission have we been called to? 
Last week we saw that we've been called to a mission of proclaiming the good news. And we talked about this good news that we have. And we came to a place of recognizing that, that good news is impossible to keep contained. And so your perspective of the news that you have, this best news in all the universe, that Jesus has come to forgive sins, that Jesus has come to cleanse broken, sinful, wicked, wicked people, that God has, has welcomed us in to peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ that only comes through faith in God, repentance and believing. Have you, this morning, heard and received and experienced that good news? Is it good news to you each day and do you wake up each morning with a, a burden to explode and erupt with the news that you've been given. We have been given good news to share, but we also have been given this ministry of proclaiming liberty to the captives, deliverance to the captives. And who are these captives? Well, there are two dimensions, just like last week we saw, two dimensions of, of these captives. First, Jesus cares about physical captives, about those who are physically oppressed. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the oppressed, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Well, it seems that Jesus skips over the phrase to heal the brokenhearted. We're gonna see that Jesus cares about those who are brokenhearted. It's absorbed in this last word, oppressed. We'll look at it in just a moment. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about these brokenhearted individuals, but he wants us to recognize how ministry to brokenhearted people, ministry to captives will happen effectively. Those who are captives are, are those who are prisoners, prisoners of war, or those who have been taken captive by powerful people or put in prison for crimes. Whatever the reason, they are, they are captivated. It's only used once in the New Testament here. And those who are oppressed are those who are not prisoners per se, but those who have been overwhelmed by the pain of life, overwhelmed by relationships that are abusive, over overwhelmed by illness, overwhelmed by whatever kind of troubles life can bring to bear. There's certainly almost an endless limit of oppression that we face as individuals, right? And this word oppressed is the word to crush, to break in pieces or to bruise. It's very similar to the Hebrew word brokenhearted, which is to break, to crush, to shatter, to destroy. Jesus cared about those who were broken. He cares about those who feel crushed, those who are under the weight of various factors. And Jesus came to provide deliverance and, and healing and help to those kinds of individuals. We see that in the rest of, the, of the, this chapter, chapter Luke, in chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus rebukes an unclean spirit. He provides liberation to, to one who is bound by demonic captivity. He cares for Simon Peter's mother-in-law in verse 39, where he rebukes the fever. He cares for diseases. We see in Luke chapter 4, verse 40, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. 
Jesus heals lepers in chapter 5. He heals the paralytic in chapter 5. He, he ministers to social outcasts in chapter 5. Those with withered hands also in chapter 5. And on and on the story goes, Jesus cares for those who are physic, physically captive or enslaved and those who are physically oppressed. But it was the physical deliverance that pointed to a spiritual reality. When Jesus is healing physical things and was able to demonstrate that he had power over the physical, it helped you to realize his audience to understand that when he also offered spiritual deliverance, that he could make good on that promise as well. And by drawing from the text of Isaiah 58, Jesus will connect true spirituality with truly ministering to physical issues. Turn with me briefly back to Isaiah 58. Let's just see this for a moment. Again, it's on page 617 or 618 in your pew Bible. This is a time of spiritual revival in the land of Judah, the southern part of Israel. This ministry of the prophet Isaiah that spanned about five decades and four kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one who will bring some of the greatest spiritual reform in all of Israel's history. So that we find in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 5 to 7, a kind of a commentary on his life. I'm just going to put this up, th- up there for you on the board so you can see. Speaking of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were, who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He, uh, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. And Isaiah brought this kind of reform to the people of Judah so that those who were living in Jerusalem benefited from this spiritual revival, as it were. We see the beginnings of it there in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 to 4. Notice, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression. Now here was their transgression. Wait for it. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. What? Where is the wickedness? Where is the the need for repentance? It seems from outward appearances that everything is going well, that revival has actually taken root in the hearts of these people. But notice what they say in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. All of the The accoutrements and externals of spirituality were just a sham. 
because deep down in their heart, they were doing it for one reason, and that was, what can we get out of this? How can God help us and bless us if we are doing all the right things? And so, the prophet Isaiah and the Lord will speak to this people in confronting the, the, the misalignment of their heart and help them to understand that those who love God, who follow after God, will be those who emulate the compassion of God for hurting people. Rather than doing things for what they get out of it, their spirituality, their religion, their, the, the things that are going on down inside their heart will bear fruit in true compassion and true love for others. So that in Isaiah chapter 58, verses five to seven, they will be those who loose the bonds of wickedness in verse six. They will undo the straps of the yoke. They will let the oppressed go free. They will break every yoke. They will share their bread with the hungry. They will bring the homeless poor into their house. When they see the naked, they'll cover them and not hide themselves from their own flesh. Now, don't misunderstand. We're not talking about a works-based righteousness. We're not talking about doing all the right things and God will save you. What we're talking about is the fruit of a changed life and how that bears, bears evidence to the world around you in caring for those who are in need. There is a physical aspect of deliverance that those who truly love God will emulate as they're echoing the heart of God for captives and oppressed people those who are crushed, those who are hurting. So that at the end of the age, when the judge will stand and sort the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 and 36, this is the assessment. For I was hungry, Matthew chapter 25, 35 and 36, do we have that? There we go. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Their question is, when did we do this? And the response of the king in verse 40, the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. A heart that is consistent with the mission that God has given is also, is also consistent with the heart of God himself. It will look to help meet physical needs, of, especially of those who are in the body, those who are brothers or sisters in Christ. It will flow from a heart that's been changed from the inside out, not as a means by which we earn salvation because salvation is only comes through faith in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But it will become the, the confirmation of the inner work as we see the spiritual and the physical align. Heart for God will result in a heart for people. We saw that, we see that in 1 John, right? Those who have this world's goods. It says if, if you have this world's goods and you see your brother in need and you shut up your compassion for him, how does the love of God dwell in you? It's because there's alignment between heart and an expression, between spiritual and physical. But while the physical aspects of a mission heart show up in the life of Christ and the life of his disciples, 
He cares primarily about spiritual captives. He does care about physical captives, but, 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 but ultimately, and more importantly, about spiritual captives. This word liberty is repeated in both phrases, and Jesus, again, wants to draw our attention to liberty. Liberty to the captives. Liberty to those who are oppressed. And Jesus strategically emphasizes this aspect of his mission by repeating it and drawing from the phrase of Isaiah chapter 58 to draw attention to this liberating kind of work. Well, so what is this liberty? This liberty, the word, means to deliver or release. But in every place we find in the New Testament, except for Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it's always translated forgiveness. Liberty and forgiveness are synonymous. The liberty that Jesus sought to bring to captives and oppressed is forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and faith in Christ alone. That is the ultimate superior ministry of liberty that Jesus sought to bring through proclamation ministry Words from the Father given to people so they can, can respond and enjoy liberty. Ultimate liberty will come through forgiveness. This is the same word that Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, as he is, is, is uh, prophetically speaking of his son, his new son, John the Baptist, says in Luke chapter 1, verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness, and that's our word, forgiveness of sins. It's the same word used to describe the ministry of John the Baptist in Luke 3, verse 3, when it says, he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness, that's our word, forgiveness of sins. Liberty and forgiveness are what Jesus have in mind. Liberty to captives, those who are bound. Liberty to the pressed, those who are feeling the pressures of society, pressures of the various conditions that they're under. The oppression that comes in, in many different ways, Jesus came to provide ultimate and true liberty that comes through forgiveness that only Jesus can offer through himself. So that all of it comes together for us in Luke chapter 24, Verses 45 to 49, where Jesus, where Jesus will now conclude his ministry, which he began here in Luke chapter 4, will conclude it with, with many of the exact same words that not only help us recognize the significance of liberty and forgiveness of sins, but the commissioning of God and extending his mission now to those whom he sent, his, his disciples. Then he opened their minds, speaking of Jesus, to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness, that's our word, of sins should be proclaimed, that's the preaching word we see in our mission statement, in, all, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending apostello, the promise of my Father upon you, who is of course the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And here is this mission statement in reverse. 
where the Spirit of the Lord is upon these disciples now to carry out as sent ones this preaching, teaching ministry within the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish forgiveness of sins through liberation, the liberation of the Word. The same ministry that each of us who call ourselves followers of God are called to accomplish in echoing and emulating the heart of God for captives and oppressed. This is the ministry to which you've been called if you belong to him. This morning, I would like to just ask one question in close. Are you a captive this morning? Are you one who is bound? Are you one who is enslaved or oppressed in some way? Once you understand, as we saw from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, you can be a captive and come to church every Sunday. You can be a captive and do all the things that God has called you to do. You can show up on Sunday. You can memorize verses. You can do your morning devotions. You can have your time of prayer. You can lead your family every single day. You can show kindness to your spouse. You can give your money. You can serve in church. You can do all of these things and still be a captive because there's been no change in your heart. You have never been truly liberated. Liberation that only comes through forgiveness of sins. Liberation that only comes through confession of faith in Jesus is the only way of salvation. The danger of this kind of bondage is that you can be a captive and never know it. You can be a captive to, tr to tradition, a captive of rule keeping, a captive of duty, but have no true relationship with God. So that at the end of the age, in, it's described in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. On that day, many will come and say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and did many wonderful works in your name? And I will say to them on that day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawless lawlessness. Are you this morning a captive? Bound even by good things, by tradition, by rule keeping, by performance, by wearing the facade and doing all the right things, but doing it in a way that serves self and somehow merits favor with God. Let me say, there is only one way in which we can enjoy any favor with God and that is if we're in Jesus, only when we're in Jesus through faith that there is no condemnation. Because Jesus alone accomplished the requirements on our behalf. There is no other way under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but to believe in Jesus. Have you believed in him this morning? There is another kind of captivity that we find in Romans chapter 6. And I'll just, I'll just close with this verse and add a comment. Romans chapter 6 verses 16 to 18 describes a captivity to sin. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God 
that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Are you this morning a slave of sin? Or have you transferred your captor, the captor of slavery to sin? Or are you now a slave of the benevolent king, a slave of God, a slave of righteousness, so that you can do the things that God has called you to do through his power? I would venture to say that there are many in this room this morning who keep stumbling into sin, who feel enslaved and and captured by that sin, that bondage of sin. But just as there is a beckoning, an, an encouragement, a call from this passage, be reconciled to God. Enjoy the liberty that God has given through his son Jesus, liberty that comes through forgiveness of sins. Humble your heart. Draw near to him, recognize your sin, and enjoy freedom. Freedom to slavery, to righteousness. Slavery to God, which is true freedom indeed. If you need to know how to have that kind of freedom that comes through faith in Jesus, I would love to share how that happens. How our relationship with God begins. I'll be up here and be happy to answer any of your questions, pray with you, And uh, I know there are others who would love to do the same. Let me pray, and I'll close our time for this morning. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who masterfully worked through this mission statement and drew attention to the preaching, teaching ministry that Jesus had and also the sending ministry that he had. It's the same ministry that we have been given as those who are apostles of Christ, those who are disciples of yours, who follow after you in faith. May we do the ministry that you've commissioned us to in a way that is pleasing, in a way that is faithful, in commending forgiveness to the nations so they can experience true liberty from captivity and oppression. May we see that fresh work in our midst in the coming weeks, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. God bless you.